Welcome to Critics Not Cynics, the podcast that tries to prove that you can be a critic without being a cynic. And we're back from my summer break, even though it really wasn't much of a break. Uh, I was doing all my free time pretty much just working overtime with my job and everything. But, you know, now we're back. We're going to be on a more regular uh, schedule for a while. And this probably will be an annual thing. I'll probably be taking a break either during just the month of July or July and June just because that is my busy period of the time at my work. So uh, I appreciate everyone kind of sticking sticking with the show and uh, you know going back and listening to some of the older episodes and whatnot. So appreciate for everybody who, who's done that. Um, iTunes situation, it looks like um, they don't accept the RSS feeds from SoundCloud anymore, apparently, or there's some issues with that. So we're probably going to be... Although I'm going to keep SoundCloud, um, we're going to be kind of migrating also to Podbean uh, and use their service as well to kind of host the podcast and also reach out to more people that use that service as well and see if we can't get the RSS feed situation uh, taken care of so we can start getting this on the iTunes because I'd really like to, um, you know, expand on the there and eventually start probably moving some of these episodes onto YouTube as well. You know, no video, but still have the audio just to you know try to reach a wider base but i appreciate everybody that's you know been listening to the podcast and um you know we're we're doing pretty good in my opinion you know we get some audio issues here and there and some technical issues and looking to upgrade equipment but uh you know that's still some some ways away with some money i had some unforeseen expenditures this past couple months that you know made it a little bit tighter on the money um aspect of things so I just appreciate everybody sticking through with me here on the on the show and and listening. Um, one other thing before we get into the reviews today on the podcast, just want to take a moment of silence for uh, the victims of the mass shootings in El Paso and uh, Dayton that happened over the weekend. Um, some people, as you probably already know, uh, people went and and. Uh, one guy shot up people in a Walmart and then in in El Paso and then in Dayton uh, another person was shooting people around uh, kind of the bar scene at 1am last night on uh, Sunday morning Um, so I just want to take a moment of silence you know to kind of you know solidarity for the victims All right, now with the heavy stuff out of the way, uh, on today's uh, episode of the podcast, we're going to discuss a, um, a YouTube short called Fried Berry. Um, you can find it on YouTube. It's about four minutes long. It's a little interesting, um, a little interesting kind of horror short film. Uh, we're also going to discuss two indie horror films that are on Amazon Prime uh, called Horror Hotel and Return to Horror Hotel. Uh, And then I'm going to go into my review of Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, the newest uh, Quentin Tarantino film. Uh, And this might be a little bit of a shorter one, just kind of, you know, get back into the swing of things and I might move a little bit quick through the reviews. Uh, Also, I'm recording this on Sunday, so it's not my typical Friday recording where I feel like I have a lot more free time to be able to sit and talk for a while. Um, So 
I apologize if this is a bit of a shorter episode and not as in-depth in detail as you've heard from previous episodes, but yeah, we'll get back into the swing of things. I know Scary Stories to Tell in the Dark is coming out uh, next weekend, and I'm definitely getting out and checking that movie out. Uh, and we're starting to enter into the Halloween season, so you know we're going to be definitely diving into the horror movies a lot more frequently. But we've got a few that uh, you know are going to kind of fill that in between space between August and October. So uh, you know, st- stick with the podcast, and you'll hear my more in-depth reviews on some of these uh, episodes after the break. You know, coming back after the break. So moving into the first review of the YouTube horror short uh, called Fried Berry. Um, and I will tag the the uh, gentleman who asked me to cover this uh, uh, when I tweet this out on Monday. I uh, can't quite think of his name. I've got it written down at my work and I unfortunately left it there. Uh, Fried Berry is a very interesting short in the sense like there's not much story, but there's but you but there's enough horror in it, and the um, guy playing Barry is fantastic in in the role that he's doing because this is just a ramifications of addiction, um, and and the addiction being to heroin. Uh, at the beginning of it, you see him shoot up, and then it's the ups and downs the highs and the lows of going through um a high on heroin uh he's kind of like wigging out and then is you know there's like weird special effects with his face like his one like eyes go big and and stuff and then there's moments where he's ecstatic and then moments where he's down moments where he's like seizing and freaking out and running around and it's all shot in like what looks like an abandoned warehouse so it's grimy. You kind of get the impression that Barry is homeless or at least, you know, low income. And it, it does a really good job of kind of showing the ramifications of, of drugs, drugs or drug use, um, or at least heroin use. As you see him kind of in these moments of ecstasy, but then moments of intense dread and, and uh, pain and uh it's it's actually kind of hard to watch i mean it's only four minutes and i had a hard time watching it just in the sense of you know it's it's kind of horrific and and the guy they've got to play barry does such a good job he's kind of got a really lanky body he doesn't wear a shirt so you kind of see like you know his ribs and he's really lanky and uh you know and he just does a good job of kind of conveying this horrificness and and yet also this kind of blissfulness uh, it's really interesting on how it's juxtaposed together. And, um, I mean, there's not, like I said, there's not much to the story, but all you need for the story is just that this is a man, you know, using heroin, and this is kind of his trip, his journey through that. And you have to wonder, like, is this, you know, normal? Is this particular trip, you know, a regular occurrence, or is this one, the one that goes too far and maybe he ODs? kind of open-ended on that um but you know it's very well shot very well acted the effects are fantastic especially for something as uh small and uh most certainly low budget in this aspect it's very well done it's very competent um 
I'm not sure if I want to see like a longer um, bit focused on this same character or if I want to see what uh, the writer and director of this particular short could do um, together on a different project with with financing and with uh, you know a bigger story and uh, they definitely got the talent they definitely got the skill and they definitely conveyed the horrificness of the of the drug use so I'm gonna probably give that short about a 4.5 out of 5 like I said it's not super long and you know you can watch it pretty quick and uh, you guys kind of make up your own mind on that I, I I'm very impressed with it I don't think I can watch it multiple times only because it's it's strong enough in just one viewing to kind of get you like okay yeah this is something I never want to go through um, so that's uh that's going to do it for the YouTube short I, I would like to talk more about it but there's not much more I can add um, unless I was maybe talking with the actor or the director or the writer of, of the piece because I'd like to see kind of what their motive or what their intent um, was behind uh, doing this you know was it kind of an anti-drug uh, I don't want to use propaganda but just an anti-drug like uh, public service announcement type thing you know one to try to kind of uh, discourage the youth or adults to even consider doing it because yes you might have those nice high moments but you're gonna get a lot of horrific lows and you're gonna live in squalor and you're gonna live in filth because you're devoting all of your income or what little income you may have to this expensive habit that uh, is eventually going to kill you at some point so definitely go check it out on YouTube you're not it's not gonna be a huge waste of your time if you don't like it um, I, I definitely recommend it um, alright so now we're gonna move into a double review of two movies that are linked together they're made by the same group uh, Horror Hotel and Return to Horror Hotel. Um, they'll have to forgive me because I, I had intended to talk about this a little bit ago. So I'd watched the first one a while back and then I had watched the second one but I hadn't finished the last segment uh, until this morning. And um, so it's not all fresh in my head, but it's uh, but I you know know the basic gist of it. I mean they're they're horror anthologies. Um, looks like as if uh, Horror Hotel might have been like a YouTube series and then they were collecting these together to kind of make a, a movie. Um, they're both on Amazon Prime for free on streaming. And they're definitely more um, independent, lower budget. Uh, I know Pat, who was supposed to be on the show uh, with me this week, uh, although we had a little scheduling conflict, uh, he tried to watch at least the first one to be able to discuss on the podcast, and he just couldn't do it. And I think he has a lower tolerance threshold, or higher, no, lower. He has a lower tolerance threshold when it comes to uh, lower budget horror films, and I have a higher tolerance uh, threshold. Basically, as long as it's shot well, um, even, even some that aren't necessarily shot well, like, uh, you know, I can, I can maybe swing with watching it depending on the performances of the actor and, and, the, and the general story there's one on Amazon uh, currently called 12 Fool Manor that I kind of thought was going to be in that same aspect but I was severely disappointed in it and uh, it just 
it's not worth much of much of my time or your time uh unfortunately i think it had an interesting concept but it was just poorly executed now back to horror hotel and return to horror hotel my my major overall issue and then i'll talk about some of the individual segments that kind of stuck out in my mind um is that there's no framing device so one of my favorite things about horror anthologies like something like trick-or-treat or tales of halloween and even tales of halloween does it to a lesser extent than trick-or-treat um any horror anthology i like to have it have a framing device a wraparound narrative something like southbound has a little bit of that being just this it's in this set in this particular uh stretch of highway on the desert and some of the characters kind of interact with each other going from story to story it's similar to trick-or-treat um i'm trying to think of some other horror anthologies there i really like uh like uh, a christmas horror story which is one of my all-time favorite christmas horror films uh you know has kind of it's happening in the in bailey downs and you have william shatner kind of being the dj who's kind of you know, doing the th through line for the story and horror hotel although it all takes place kind of in the same location there's no framing device there's no uh interconnectedness like they're just individual stories and that's why i i think that it was more of a like short film youtube series versus uh an actual just straight the film or straight to streaming uh, service um, because it's and and especially with how the first one is uh, broken up is you know you have the uh, kind of the beginning and then it has its credits after each segment's done so uh, it's more of the collection whereas I think the the second one Return to Horror Hotel is more of kind of like it plays it straight through and then it gives you the credits um, and there are um, certain actors that are in both movies uh, that's kind of nice it, and it does have some uh, continuity between uh, there's like a oh kind of like a lone shark uh, car guy who I think his name is like Sharko or Sharpo or something like that he he appears in, in multiple segments so like he's one that's kind of a consistent character but um, it, it kind of lacked that interconnectedness that kind of gives it a cohesive uh, narrative cohesive story uh, cohesive impact like some horror anthologies that I really enjoy. So um, some of the segments from the first one that really stick out to me is the very first one, which is uh, dealing, I don't know the names of the individual segments, so I apologize, but uh, the first one deals with a guy who's getting kind of kicked out of the hotel room from his girlfriend. Uh, and then these two alien girls, um, they crash their ship into his um, ex-girlfriend's car and then you have the ex-girlfriend kind of trying to like win her boyfriend back because these two alien girls are very attractive and they're uh you know really excited to see a man and even though he's kind of like a loser uh you know he's he's eating it all up and uh it's just really fun especially like taking into consideration that these uh, aliens are primarily exposed to earth culture through like the radio waves so like they're only seeing stuff that had been uh, broadcast in the 50s is the only stuff that they're kind of familiar with now that has reached their like home planet so they're kind of acting like 50s 60s uh, girls and it's it's kind of cute and kind of fun and it's you know nothing too serious but it, it was enjoyable I, I really like that one a lot um, the one that stuck out the most to me in the first one was the clones because this 
um, showcase the uh, actress. She, she shows up in the second one as well. I don't know her her name, and I don't have my uh, IMDb up and running right next to me right now, so I can't quite look it up. But um, she uh, plays all these clones and their mother, and they all have different unique personalities. And you have this guy who's kind of a, a bounty hunter who uh, he goes after people who've kind of jumped their bench warrants and stuff like that. And he's trying to track down this particular one because of uh, someone that was uh, murdered. And she's got to go to in front of the court. And he just thinks that they're sisters. And then he finds out that they're clones. And they all have unique, different personalities. And they're all telling different parts of the story. Uh, through each of his interactions with each one of them because they keep telling him, oh no, she's in this room, and oh no, he goes to that room, oh no, they're in this room, and he kind of gets frustrated with it and, uh, you know, interests, uh, surprised by all the different distinct personalities that he kind of comes across, and it has a kind of interesting, cool climax. Um, and that one just uh, really, really struck strong with me. Um, and I'm trying to think of any of the other segments that really kind of stuck out. There's there's a few. Uh, I did like the one that's kind of a dystopian future uh, with, like, women uh, kind of running the world and um, men kind of being used as uh, just reproductive beasts, but they can't be out free in the world or anything like that. Um, and this reused some of the same actors as well from previous segments. Uh, and it was just, it was interesting. It didn't, um, it, it kind of lost its impact by the end of the segment, but it was, it was interesting at first and then it kind of fell apart in the final execution of it. And that's why it doesn't kind of stick strongly in my mind, but it was, it was interesting. Um, and so I think like as from the first one, um, that's all about, that I can say about it. I mean, I think the the strongest of the segments was the clone segment because it did showcase that actress and she did such a wonderful job with all the different personality types and you you could believe that um, they were their each and own individual characters and it was very creative with how they shot it and uh, I was very, very impressed with it. So I think overall, um, as a review score, I think I'm going to give... Um, give it about a three or a 3.5 um it is like an hour and 43 minutes so it is a little bit of a chunk of time for a horror film it is lower budget it is a little bit light on on some of the acting but it's fun to kind of just have on and and kind of just watch around with your friends even if you're it's going to sound negative but i don't mean this as negative but even if you're going to poke fun at it kind of mystery science three thousand uh three thousand uh, Mystery Science Theater 3000, correct myself, um, style. Uh, I think if you're watching it with a group of friends, you can have a lot of fun with it. And uh, I have to give them kudos for, you know, being creative. Like, I, I, I know people kind of tend to not like um, more lower-budget horror films. Like I said, Pat kind of tuned out after the first segment. Um, you know, I, I have to give them credit because it's not easy to kind of get any type of funding or financing and then they you know find actors and that will take lower paychecks and find people that can you know do this on a on a low cost aspect um 
I gotta give him credit for at least even trying. Even if these were just like YouTube shorts before being kind of packaged together as a movie, I gotta give him credit. I mean, I have not been able to do something like this. I can only comment at this point. And even myself, I have issues with the lower budget kind of podcasting uh, aspect. So I gotta appreciate these guys for doing what they're doing. And even if it doesn't, you know, work for me or work for everyone, I think that it's um, it's important to at least recognize it and uh, you know celebrate it for what it is. And I think the sequel is a little bit stronger, although I think as for segments there's really there's four segments in the sequel and again it suffers kind of the same problem it doesn't really have a framing device other than uh, the hotel hotel rooms which are pretty much just reused sets uh instead of really like showing an interconnectedness like there's no like i think of like the theater bazaar with udo kier um you know you have the girl going into the theater and watching uh, him tell stories and then the then the individual stories are the stories and that, that's that's what I mean by like the framing device and I think that this would have uh, you know benefited more and it goes right into it like there's no uh, no real introduction into it and it starts with this kind of bed bugs uh, story which to me was strong in, in an aspect and weak in a lot of others um, Basically, you have this guy who's just roided out, and he just, you know, uh, does all these steroids and, and fitness powders and stuff like that. And of course, the um, the hotel is infested with bed bugs, and you have these kind of drug dealers who apparently harvest some type of the venom from bed bugs to use as a drug uh, to sell, and. Um, so these bed bugs end up biting um, the steroid guy a lot, and they end up transforming into basically roided out uh, bed bugs that end up eating people. And uh, it was clever, and I kind of like the end of it because you have also a little kind of side story with these two kids who are, you know, being with their aunt, and their aunt's kind of dismissive and annoying and doesn't care about the kids. I believe it's their aunt, it's either their aunt or their mother. And them trying to, like, you know, survive when the infestation really spreads. Um, but it, it definitely wasn't one of the, the stronger of the uh, segments. I did like the... Um, it was either Marie Antoinette or Anne Boleyn segment where there's this, these two uh, women go to buy this uh, antique... Uh, brooch or necklace and it's kind of fated to be cursed and like the one woman sell, like sells her car but she then she was going to report it as uh, a stolen uh, by the guy that sold them the necklace and then you know they end, end up fighting and hilarity ensues uh, I, I kind of like that one because it, it was very clever and especially like with the history of I'm pretty sure it was Marie Antoinette um but I might have it wrong, but just knowing how her life ended and then kind of what happens in this segment, uh, it was very clever. I, I enjoyed it a lot. Um, the next segment I think is my favorite. It's my favorite between even just the two movies because it's, it's very clever. It doesn't make a whole lot of sense, but it's clever, and it deals with this 
uh, girl having to deliver a book to a man that they never, who never leaves his apartment, or never leaves the hotel room, and uh, she tries to uh, win a bet with the owner of the bookstore so she can get a bigger tip and, and uh, money for doing delivering the, the book, um, but it kind of deals with uh, aging and, and stuff, and it's really kind of clever and impressive with the makeup that they do for the Navy guy who is in the hotel room and, and everything kind of starts aging around him and as he does as well. And um, not sure I understand the point of it, but I, I really liked it. I thought the two actors in it were pretty good. The, the guy was a lot better than the girl, but the girl was good in what she had to convey and what she did. Um, and I think it's the one that sticks out the most in my memory from the, I believe it's just four segments in this one. Um, and so I, I really enjoyed th that one and I thought it was very clever and again I think they did a really good job with the makeup effects and with the set design and like the couch when it starts kind of aging itself and uh, fuzz is kind of popping out and springs are popping out and everything and like uh, you know he sets the sandwich on the table and then the camera pans away and it pans back and it's only been like a second and the uh, sandwich is like completely moldy and, and uh, rotten and I just thought it was really clever and really cool and um, but they don't know exactly what like the cause of it was what the whole message of it was but I, I really enjoyed it in the final segment is about these kind of two low-time crooks who steal uh, what's supposed to be Houdini's hand uh, from another kind of uh, criminal called Stumpy because he, he's missing a hand and um, they open it up and the hand kind of ends up trying to kill them and they're trying to make a deal with Stumpy uh, to get it back to him and he's saying on the phone like well you know I'm going to need my property back but I'm going to need it back with interest and then it's kind of down to one of the two guys has to give up a hand and um, it was interesting but it wasn't uh, anything that kind of really stuck out to me uh, I kind of hoped for a little bit more from it, but uh, I think compared to the first film, this one's a little bit stronger. Uh, again, I think they need to find a better framing device. Like, I, I get the hotel, but they need to, uh, you know, I'm kind of thinking like the, um, what's it, Room 104 on HBO? It's kind of the similar thing. Or doing something that, like, the owner of the hotel is aware of all these things and as the guests come like have the guests come check in first and maybe have him give a warning to them and then kind of see where it goes and maybe like have him uh oh there was another segment but uh it it was confusing and i, I it deals with a comatose patient and her husband and then uh, a guy that's kind of think restoring a, a hotel room it was not anything too special that's when it kind of slipped my mind or it might have been from the first one even I can't quite remember but um, it felt a little bit stronger it's a little bit tighter it's shorter it's about 20 minutes less so I think that that's what also helps it it's, it's more concise more compact um, they took more time with with their stories and just didn't fill it in with as many as in the first one has I just think they need to work on that framing device. If they work on that framing device, I think that they could really have a huge hit if they were to do a third film on there. 
Um, so I think with that one, I'm going to definitely give it a 3.5. It might bump up to a 4 at some point, but I think it's it's definitely shows uh, better promise than the first one. So definitely go check them out on Amazon. Uh, they're streaming free if you have Prime, so you're not wasting any money on it if you don't like it. And if you don't like it, you can always turn it off too. But, uh, you know, again, these are independent creators doing... Uh, you know, passion projects and stuff just to even get their names out there or just to even have done it. So I got to give them a lot of credit for that. And uh, I'm happy that they reached out to me on Twitter and asked me to cover the film. Uh, they need me to, they would like for me to write an Amazon review. I think I, I will do that here at some point. Um, kind of just mentioning the same stuff that I, I've mentioned here on the podcast. But uh, definitely recommend just go to check it out you know you may not like it you may not be impressed by it but uh i think you will uh maybe enjoy some aspects of it it doesn't fire on all cylinders but it fires on most cylinders so uh yeah the first one lands about a three and the uh maybe a 3.5 i'd have to go back and rewatch it refresh my memory but the second one definitely like a 3.5 between a four because um, there is a vast improvement between the two films all right, so now we're going to move into my review of uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Um, Non-spoiler for a bit because I can't quite talk about the movie and how I felt about it without doing spoilers. So, um, like I said, this is going to be a little bit of a shorter episode. It's going to kind of match my birthday episode, I think, and about length. It might run a little bit longer. But um, my... Initial thoughts of Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, having kind of sat on it now for about two weeks. Um, it's it's a good Tarantino film. I think it's also, uh, and I saw I've seen this said, so I don't want to take credit for this, but it's the least Tarantino movie and also the most Tarantino movie at the same time. And uh, I'll I'll explain that more when I get to the kind of the spoiler bit of the review. Um, it's. It's very good, it's well written, it's well shot, but there's not a whole lot of what happens. There's not like a whole lot of action or beats that you might be familiar with on his previous works. Like, it's vastly different from something like Inglorious Bastards, but it might be more similar to something like Death Proof. Um, so, I, I really enjoyed it, I thought, DiCaprio was fantastic. Uh, Brad Pitt was fantastic. Uh, Margot Robbie was great as Sharon Tate, although she doesn't play a whole whole lot of role in in the film overall. And you know, um, it, it's a real good kind of like microcosm view of Hollywood and uh, kind of the washed up actor and kind of coming to terms with his career being up and uh, it's. It's very impressive, and especially when you think about it in the context, because like the kind of running theory of all the Tarantino films are since it's kind of an alternate history. Uh, since like you know you look at Inglorious Bastards and they end up killing Hitler in Inglorious Bastards versus like how it actually happened, uh, kind of leads to like how Pulp Fiction is and kind of the kind of uh, what's the what's the word I'm looking for the kind of the fascinations with like the 50s because you know the 50s would, were I would assume I guess at that point a more peaceful time just considering how like Hitler was taken out and um, 
I don't know. I it's kind of just this running theory that uh, he's changed certain events in history and how he sees it in his eyes. Like this is a what if this happened and how the kind of butterfly effect would occur. So I, I definitely have to commend it for that. Um, it, it's still great, and uh, I like the I love the uh, Brad Pitt uh, or well his uh, Cliff Booth, uh, uh, Bruce yeah Bruce Lee fight like that. It's just it's fantastic. It's very brief, but it, it's great. I know I think that uh, Bruce Lee's daughter has not been happy with how that's portrayed, but it's just fun like i mean it's not meant to necessarily be insulting him but it it was just it was it was fun i mean it was cute and it was just a a moment to kind of laugh off um there's also and i've seen this echoed also by other people on um, twitter uh, that there is like a a sequence that is a straight out of a horror film and it and it really is and it's it's probably one of the most tense moments I've ever felt watching a movie that, especially not expecting this to really be like a horror film per se, but there's so much tension. Like you're, you're expecting things to happen and you're just like, Oh, please, 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 please. And, uh, you know, it's, it's very well done, very clever. Uh, and I think he has expressed that he might look at doing a horror project. Uh, and I tell you what, if he can, build tension like he did in that particular scene i say go for it uh i i would be very happy to see what a full-blown tarantino horror film is because i don't think death proof really falls into the horror category I, I i think it's it's there but it's not it's not a full horror film in in my opinion even though it's part of the grindhouse planet death proof and and or planet terror death proof uh bundle but uh, I think on my like scale of Tarantino movies, this might fall. I have to revisit Death Proof because Death Proof was m- probably my least favorite Tarantino film, but I think it was also because it was not what I was expecting from a Tarantino film. And um, I if if that's the kind of the ranking it goes and stays, like Death Proof would be my least, and this would be like right above it, just in the aspect of like. You, it's a two hour and 40 minute movie and you're you sit through the full two hours just to get to that last 40 minutes and the last 40 minutes is where really where it kicks in the gear um not that anything that happens in that two hours prior is bad it's just it's a lot of build up for a very short amount of time whereas you like look at something like avengers endgame you have that build up build up build up but it's a huge in my opinion a huge payoff for that final hour uh, of the movie and um, you get some really iconic shots whereas this is just like okay scene here scene there scene here they're not really uh connected they don't really build i mean they build a little bit on the characters especially more in the aspect of rick dalton um but they also okay i'm just gonna leave it there because i'm gonna get into spoilers if i go any further so i think as a review score though i'm gonna give it a four out of five um yeah i think a four out of five i was kind of teasing with a 4.5 but uh i think it's it's not necessarily tarantino's best work but it's not his worst work either uh i think as a follow-up that like whereas hateful eight was a perfect follow-up to django um 
I don't feel like Once Upon a Time in Hollywood was a great follow-up to Hateful Eight. But, again, it's still a really good movie. It was very impressive, and I, uh, I, I, loved, I loved every second of it, but it, it is long, and, and long only to get you know that last 40 minutes, and it might not even be 40 minutes of that. It might really be like 20 minutes. Um, so, all right, I'm, I'm going to go ahead and leave it there for the non-spoiler part. So if you're going to go ahead and bow out, if you're going to watch the movie later, uh, you know, you can come on back and jump on in and hear my thoughts on the kind of the spoilers aspect. And if you think like what I'm thinking is maybe going to be, it would, it would have been a little bit better if, if uh, he had asked for any input from me, uh, you know, you're more welcome to come on back and, and finish listening to the podcast. So uh, if not, we'll see you guys next time. I think we'll definitely be covering uh, scary to- stories to tell in the dark. Uh, I definitely got some video game talk to talk about as well, and uh, maybe some. Um, oh yeah, I got to do a review on Stranger Things season three, um, and some uh, other stuff to talk about. You know, I, again, I'm sorry for the kind of shorter length of this episode. Uh, I'm just, it's recording on a Sunday, and I'm never at my best on a Sunday. And just coming back from break, I gotta get back into the swing of things. So, uh, I will see you guys all next time if you're not staying for spoilers. Alright, guys, so those of you that have stuck around for the spoilers, um, one impression that the, the trailer gave off was that um, Cliff might get kind of seduced by the Manson family and become a part of it. Like, that's how I read it from the trailer. And it doesn't go that way, which I can't blame it either, especially for how it ends kind of reversing the fate of Sharon Tate because you have uh, Cliff and Rick and then Rick's wife at this time kind of all partying back at the house and the uh, and Rick getting out there kind of the yell at the the Manson family group uh, that would have gone straight to, to Sharon Tate's house to kill her um, they instead try to go and kill him and even though uh, Cliff is tripping on an acid cigarette and this is where it gets into like the most Tarantino bit because it's just bloody gruesome like he just he gets his dog, his dog, uh, you know, ends up going after the guy with the gun, and he ends up bashing the, the can of dog food in the one girl's face, and then he ends up bashing the other girl in, and, and hitting her head against the fireplace, and then a phone, and just completely bashing it in, and then the one girl goes running outside, and uh, into the water, scaring the crap out of Rick, and then Rick goes, grabs his flamethrower, and just burns her to fucking crisp, part of my language. Um... It's, it's a great climax, uh, but nothing that they did in the previous two hours really, like, built up to that or that it it, um, it made sense to that or, like, that anything you saw previously just was not necessarily important to that final moment. Um, I mean, it was... The character relationships were really good uh, and Rick kind of coming to terms with his acting ability and actually being a good actor... Uh, it just kind of like felt like it was just a bunch of snapshots of particular moments of uh, 1969 Hollywood, which was fine. Like I really, it, it's really great and it's really beautiful. And uh, and I kind of like, again, this kind of alternate history. Well, since we've had Hitler and the war 
War II ended early because of them killing Hitler in the theater, and even maybe having the stuff tied from Hateful Eight and Django, um, and then you got like you know your your Pulp Fiction, which could definitely you can see it kind of spanning out of this, and you get this kind of alternate history because of certain things going slightly different. That this is why, like you know, you have that diner in in Pulp Fiction and. Um, uh, you know, certain characters related to others, like the kind of running theory now that Randy, the stuntman guy in Once Upon a, Ho Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, is, oh god, I can't remember his name, Stuntman Mike's uh, brother from Death Proof, because he says in, in Death Proof, like, oh yeah, my brother got me into stunt work, and it's like, ooh, well maybe that's, you know, that's the relationship there, because, you know, it's Kurt Russell, and, um, playing both characters and like you could totally see that they would if he was a younger brother it would kind of fit the age uh aspect of where he would be at in death proof but um yeah it, it just kind of i thought it would have been a little bit more interesting had they had you know because you almost kind of see cliff having this kind of existential crisis knowing that uh you know his the actor that he uh, body doubles for for stunts is kind of at the end of his career and he doesn't have anything like cliff lives in a trailer out by a drive-through and all he has is his dog and the accusations about him murdering his wife which he may or may not have done and then kind of being seduced by this manson girl and and going to the manson ranch and kind of like feeling this sense of family or something like that um it would have made more sense not that i hate that he doesn't let that affect him like he doesn't not let that uh really uh impact uh, his character like he knows still right from wrong and and manson doesn't even really show up a whole lot he is like one scene and although the guy that got for him and i know he's going to be playing uh an older version of manson in mindhunter season two um looks eerily like Manson so I think like had they kind of had Tarantino kind of I guess he ended up subverting expectations but I I, I felt like maybe the, the trailer was a little disingenuous although I know he has no control over the trailer cutting um, it it just kind of gave more of an impression that um, it would have been more of a conflict between Cliff and and Rick um, but at the same time, I love that friendship. Like I was telling, uh, Pat, you know, he and I are very, very close. We've been best friends for over a decade now, almost two decades. And, um, and he and I just kind of have that, have that special friendship. And I, I know I was thinking about it, mulling over it. And, and I was like, you know, the more I think about it, the more, I go, our friendship is this friendship. And uh, it was kind of like a real kind of cool moment to have that. So I, I, even though it didn't necessarily go the way I wanted it to go, I was very impressed with the final product. I definitely will be picking it up. It's great just as kind of having a snapshot of Hollywood and how things were and how they could have been different. Uh, you know, I do kind of like, and I think that that's why um, Sharon Tate's sister kind of gave this a film blessing because Tarantino wasn't going to treat her with disrespect. In fact, like when 
Margot Robbie goes into the theater to watch a movie that she's in as Sharon Tate, they actually kept, you know, they didn't try to put Margot Robbie's face in there to replace Sharon Tate. They actually showed the bit with Sharon Tate in it to kind of be very respectful to her. And I, I, I greatly appreciated that. And I'm sure her sister appreciated that. So I think that's going to do it uh, for this episode. If you stuck around for spoilers, thank you. If you've just been sticking around in general, thank you very much. I, I appreciate the support. Um, if you want anything to be discussed on the podcast, um, Oh, and I've got to do an announcement for a giveaway. I'll, I'll do that on Twitter, uh, because if you've not stuck around for the spoilers, you won't hear this. Um, but if you want anything discussed on the podcast or talked about or just want to have some uh, points or thoughts brought up, just email me at criticsnotcynics at gmail.com. And if you aren't already, uh, follow me on Twitter. You can follow me on Twitter at criticsntcynics. And uh, I tweet fairly regularly some of its innocuous personal stuff and the other stuff is uh kind of movie related stuff you know news that i see by like bloody disgusting or just in general um and just retweets of some other people or, or just even trying to promote other podcasts out there uh like the horror nights End podcast because crystal and i are, are are good friends and uh you know millennial mike has got a podcast and he and i uh see eye to eye on a lot of things and uh, you know, Dave Cave uh, YouTube channel. I know he's uh, been racking up the views over there, so congrats to him. Uh, so, you know, it's a good, fun time over there. I've made a, a nice base group of friends on there, and uh, we have fun interacting and talking about horror and, uh, and movie-related stuff. So if you're not following already, just give me a follow, and especially if you want to hear uh, about an upcoming giveaway, because I think people are going to be excited for it. All right, guys. Well... You take it easy, and we'll see you next time.